0: My name is Nathan, if I've not had a chance to meet you, uh, we are early on in our study of this little letter of the book of, the, the book of Philippians to the Philippians, where Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what we're thinking about, sort of frame our understanding. So welcome again to the church at Philippi, Grace Church Philippi, as I'm calling it, helps us think about the fact that it's a local church where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church that he not only began, but he's writing to a church that he bled for to begin. So he did this by proclaiming the gospel to a girl by the name of Lydia and to her family who believed and were baptized. And he proclaimed the gospel to a jailer and his family. They believed they were baptized. Off the church came into existence where they had overseers and deacons. And Paul here is writing this letter to encourage this church to be united for the enjoyment in the gospel and the advancement of that gospel. United that, complete my joy by being of the same mind and the same love. So this week, we'll take a look at one sentence. One sentence. Verses three to five. And in this sentence, we learn a great deal about what gives the Christian life and joy and thanksgiving. In this sentence, uh, we see that thankfulness and joy are not conditioned on circumstances but upon eternal realities that go beyond ourselves and onto transcendent realities. So thanksgiving and joy are found in the partnership of the work of the gospel. I'm going to read verses 1 down to 5. Philippians chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the passage we'll be considering this morning. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. One sentence that encapsulates what we're going to consider this morning. One sentence, one admonition to you, Restoration Church. And here it is Pursue the fellowship of the gospel for the joy of your soul. Pursue the fellowship of the gospel for the joy of your soul. So in this sentence, Paul thanks that thanks the, the God, his God. He Notice he says there, my God. So God can be said to be mine. He thanks my God every time he remembers Grace Church Philippi. Every time he prays for them, he does so, we see, with joy and thanksgiving. Paul thanks his God every time he remembers Grace Church Philippi as he prays for them. And he prays for them every time. He prays for them with joy, now, that statement, guys, is about as countercultural a statement as you will find in the Bible. So what we all want is joy, right? Everybody in the room, I, I think it's fair to say we all want joy. And we are told to find joy in a thousand ways in the American week. But the way that Paul finds joy is not the way that we're told to find joy throughout our week here in 21st century America. Let me rehearse for you, friends, the circumstances of Paul. These are the circumstances of Paul. As Paul is writing this letter, you should hear in the background the clanking of iron because he's writing from prison. Paul is writing from this prison, probably in Rome, far from his home, far from his most closest friends and closest allies. Look down there in verses 13 and 14. You can see there, chapter 1, he's writing from prison. Paul is writing from, as it were, the kind of state penitentiary. The reason why Paul is in jail is for the same reason he finds joy in considering Grace Church Philippi. Paul is imprisoned for doing nothing other than preaching the gospel. He is advocating to Roman citizens that Christ is the king and Caesar is nothing but a bit player on the timeline of human history. Paul was converted out of a prominent position. He was ushered into a church where he was then trained up and sent out of that church where he would be inconvenienced time and again out of his love for God, this gospel, this treasure that he found in a, in a, hidden in a field. Paul walked untold miles. He did what was needed to make enough money to keep going and put food in his belly. He was beaten to within an inch of his life numerous times. He was found shipwrecked numerous times. He got caught up in uh, all kinds of things. He He was told never to enter towns again. He was made fun of over and over again. He never enjoyed the love of a wife or children. He even had some of his own converts making fun of his preaching in favor of others. He had fellow brothers of the faith not trust his leadership and then leave the mission field. He even had fellow laborers leave the faith entirely while on the mission field because of their love for this world. And this is not to mention the pain of watching churches that he planted begin to fracture by believing false gospels. And yet, we find Paul here joyful, in prison, as he considers Grace Church even though the gospel he has been laboring for has caused untold harm and difficulties, untold grief and disappointments, even though the gospel he says is good news has given his life a lot of bad news, he remains joyful when he considers grace church alone. Yes friends, Paul is countercultural. He does not allow the current state of world affairs or his own personal affairs to dictate his joy. His joy is rooted in unchanging transcendent realities that result in an attitude of joy. An attitude of joy. Yes, for Paul, joy was not an emotion per se or a mood or a feeling. Joy was an attitude that was rooted in the truth of the gospel. I thank my God, Note the words, in all My remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. It's hard to find someone like Paul that chooses not to orient themselves upon their life experiences or their circumstances. It's hard to find someone that chooses to orient themselves around an attitude of joy. It's hard to find a person like this. And yet, friends, you should know they exist. They exist here. We see it in Paul. We can think back to uh, the year 1555, uh, where in Oxford, England, a guy by the name of Latimer and a guy by the name of Ridley, who loved Jesus, had been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because they believed in by in grace through faith that leads to salvation, they were burned at the stake for that gospel. And as they were getting ready to be burned, the fires begin to stoke. Latimer says to his brother in Christ, Ridley, as people looked at them about to be burned for the gospel, says to his brother, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Think you could die like that? I can think of members of this church that have been shut out of their families because they trusted Christ. I can think of our sister Diana Moreno, who I just saw this morning, who's been, had her uh, health severely tested, and yet she smiles. Trust Jesus. Our oh, friends, our joy cannot be rooted in our circumstances, because no matter how bad the news may get for us, the best news is always in front of us. Amen. Therefore, we can certainly mourn. We should mourn, in fact. We should grieve injustices and personal tragedies and disappointments. But we do so differently from the world. We do so with hope. With hope. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Isn't that what Job said? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So where does Paul then find or root himself in this attitude of thanksgiving and joy to God? Where? Let's try to be a little more instructive. Look again at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of, here's our answer, your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. So this is where I get that admonition for us this morning. Pursue the fellowship of the gospel for the joy of your soul. Paul is thankful to God and prays with joy every time he remembers Grace Church Philippi because of their partnership in the gospel from the beginning of it till that day. Now that word partnership there is that word some of you may be familiar with. It's called koinonia, that Greek word koinonia. It means fellowship. Fellowship. It's emphasizing what is common to them. And what is it that's common to them? Grace Church, Philippi, and Paul. What is it that's common to them? Well, that's obvious. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So the partnership or the fellowship of the gospel, a fellowship that they have always enjoyed from the moment that Lydia believed and gave her life to Christ to the day that Paul writes there in prison. This fellowship, this partnership is the orientation of Paul's joy and thanksgiving to God. It's How he's able to live with an attitude of joy that is not based off of circumstances. But what exactly does Paul mean by partnership in the gospel? What does he mean by that? Is it just the truth of the gospel, like those basic doctrinal truths? Or is it the work of the gospel? Well, the joy that Paul has in Grace Church Philippi's gospel partnership is in their fellowship of both those things. Of both those things. Both the truth of the gospel and the work of the gospel. I believe that we can break down what is behind those words partnership or fellowship of the gospel to include five things. I think five things are inside of what he means by partnership or fellowship in the gospel. Paul has joy in the way Grace Church Philippi has partnered with him in the gospel because of their partnership that includes their prayers, their material gifts, their physical presence, their doctrinal agreement, as well as their affections, like their soul-level affection. So, to have joy in gospel partnership, friends, is multifaceted and wholly integrated. Right? It includes both material goods and physical presence. It includes both prayers and doctrinal agreement, as well as one's affections. So, partnership that leads to joy, friends, is not thin or easy. It's costly. It's fully engaged. That's what the church is, friends. The church is not jiffy where you come and get service that leave. It's a family. It's partnering together for the sake of the mission of the gospel. And in that is your joy. So let's take a look at each of those partnerships that we have in the gospel that we too might know the joy that Paul knows and have thanks to God for this partnership. Let's look at those so five things. I said to begin with, to partner in the gospel includes prayer prayer. So we can see how Paul is praying for them in this very verse, Uh, just down, look down at verses 9 to 11. You can see Paul's prayer for them. That's the prayer I've been praying for our church through this series. And so while we have no explicit reference to Grace Church Philippi's prayer for Paul, we can easily assume that if they're sacrificing their people and their treasures, that they too are lifting up prayers for the work of the gospel in the life of Paul. And friends, that's what it means, part of what it means, to partner together in the gospel. You pray for one another. You pray for one another. Prayer is answering the word and the word of God with praise and thanksgivings and confessions and petitions. Prayer is not merely requesting things for one another. Prayer, as we see here, is thanking God for one another. Gospel partnerships pray for one another, and in so doing, they have joy in considering that partnership. And so that's why, friends, we devote so much time to prayer here on Sunday mornings. I am sure that one or two of you have probably thought, my goodness, those prayers that Joey prays are so long. This is why we do this. Because we have these gospel partnerships and we're praying for other people. You heard our brother pray for us this morning. We pray for the other gospel-believing churches in and around us right here in our own city. We're not competing with them. I love what the brother said earlier. Their joy is our joy, and our joy is their joy. We're all together in this thing. We pray for other gospel organizations that are administering needs to our city and around the world. As we pray, we exhibit, we rehearse, we display our partnership in the gospel together. You know, Joey and I have the great privilege every month of gathering together with uh, other church plants from here in the district. Uh, they meet in our offices. We just had one last week. We get together about five other churches, in addition to some other un- interns and other pastors. We have a room full of people from all around the city, and we get together once a month and we talk about things and we pray together. And as we pray together, we find that our partnership before each other begins to build, and we become like family. You know, it's such a joy to do this and so it gives me a great deal of joy just like our brother was mentioning earlier just this past week where our brother Sean Branscombe, the church that we pray for at Pillar DC over next to RFK when he told us about a brother who was sitting in a coffee shop that was weeping over his sin and the hope that he found in Christ for the first time guy coming to faith in Jesus that gives me joy As I think about the joy that they're experiencing, that congregation is experiencing. We can think about our brother Jeremy McLean as we consider his labors to now go into Lincoln Heights and amongst the African-American poor over there to begin a church. And we can pray for him and encourage him in that work. And likewise, you should know, just as you heard earlier, they pray for us. Isn't that great? Isn't it neat to know that it leads England? You've probably never even heard of Leeds before, other than something maybe you ate. Uh, but there's a church there, most of whom have never met, all, basically all of whom, except one guy in there, never met any of us. And yet they're praying for us. I get emails and postcards and phone calls almost every week, where I learn of other churches praying for this congregation. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We think together about uh partnering together for the sake of the gospel. And friends, this goes beyond the district. This goes beyond the district. Just this past week, some of you are familiar with uh our brothers Pete and Pete over in Scotland. We got the city of Scotland. They had a great uh gathering just this past week where they gathered together where they're kind of the initial stages of actually bringing a gospel-believing church into existence. And and Pete emailed me uh about praying and then I prayed and I emailed him back and told him I was praying for that Uh, gospel labors; They were beginning to form a church in an underserved, poor area. I could talk about many other places, which I will in a moment, but gospel partnerships include prayer. Prayer. We have to pray for one another. But also, gospel partnerships include material gifts. In chapter 4, just flip over there, look at chapter 4, verses 14 to 18. As you scan over that, you learn there that Grace Church Philippi was the first to enter into a partnership of giving and receiving. See that there? Chapter 4, verse 18 seems to indicate some material gift that Paul received was a kind of sacrifice from the Philippians. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that Grace Church Philippi gave money to the work of the gospel even though Grace Church Philippi was poor. and They didn't even have any money. But they wanted, like badly, to participate. So they gave money even though they were poor. We... We don't know of Paul giving any of his money to the church at Philippi, but we are aware of the fact that as he was going on some of these missionary journeys, he was taking up offerings for the church in Jerusalem because they were suffering, they were poor, they needed some cash, and he was taking up offerings for them. So there we see that the joy of gospel partnerships involve working through the gospel and helping the work of the gospel materially, giving money or other things that they need. You already heard Joey rehearse this for us, so we do this every single week here at Restoration Church. You may think, maybe you grew up in a church and you're used to the offering being passed around. What you ever think? Part of that is the facilitation of our gospel partnerships for the joy of us in the gospel and the advancement of us, uh, of Christ in that gospel to the ends of the earth. We take, as we mentioned, Joey mentioned, some 13% of our income to go away from us. The rest of it is helping facilitate mission here. And so for instance, we financially support, are you ready for this one? If you're new here, you might hear this one and might be ready to run out the door. But uh, I think this is the first time I've ever mentioned this from the pulpit, but we gladly financially help facilitate and partner with the Southern Baptist Convention. Now some of you are like, oh my goodness, one of those churches. But listen, listen, here's why we do that. Here's why we do that. It's really simple. This is the main reason why we do that. When you give one dollar, to this church or $1 to the Southern Baptist Convention here's what it does half of that goes straight to the field where people are laboring amongst uh, unreached peoples so for instance we have a relationship with a couple in the Middle East and they don't have to take the time to raise any money And so because of the work that we give in some other 45,000-plus other churches, a bunch of little churches throwing money in the pot, now this couple in the Middle East, they don't have to raise money. They can be focused on language learning and spreading the gospel. That's something to be excited about. That's something to partner with. And the other quarter of that money that goes to the SBC, it also goes to help plant or start churches here in the States and in Canada. So, for instance, this church, take a look around. We received money from them to get this thing going. Some of you have been here, but most of you were not around in those early days. And let me tell you, if you didn't know already, it cost a few bucks to live here. We needed help, and they gave us help. What a great thing. And that's happening all over the United States. North, it's called the Northern American Mission Board. It's part of the SPC. And the other quarter of that money is that goes to the SPC, you got some goes to the nations for church planting. you got some goes for church planting here in the States. And thirdly, the rest of that goes to seminaries. There's six seminaries in the Southern Baptist Convention where they train pastors and missionaries and biblical counselors and all kinds of other people. And so me and Joey, for instance, we went to seminary at one of those seminaries and we got really, uh, I think, a good education... I think it's pretty good. Uh, and we were helped and equipped and enabled to come here. And guess how much we paid? Half. Half of what we would otherwise pay at any other seminary in the United States. We think that's something exciting to be partnered with together. I'm sure we've got some crazy aunts and uncles in the Southern Baptist Convention, right? But listen, they're at the core of it, it's something good to partner together with other churches to push the gospel out. Because that's what gospel partnerships do. They help partner together for the glory of Christ in other churches materially, materially. But let me also take the opportunity to let you know about some other partnership that we have coming up later this year, Lord willing. So we partner, we are going to financially partner together with Campus Outreach. So if you're familiar with the Campus of Outreach, it's a wonderful group of guys and gals. Campus Outreach is dedicated to evangelism on college campuses. So Lord willing, in the fall of 2017, we hope to welcome a couple to come in and to be dedicated to the work of evangelism on the campus of American University. And so we've, this is a long time in the works. It looks as though it, I think it's going to happen. And our church is going to help materially support them as they preach the gospel, spread the gospel. And then the great thing about campus outreach is they funnel them back into the local church so that the local church can then disciple them. So college students are not sort of off to the side the whole time, and they get around people that are older, don't have any hair like me, that have kids working around. And they get that's good for them to be involved. And We want to financially partner with them. We're excited about that. And if that's something that if that's something you're excited about, let me know. We will continue to partner with our brothers and sisters at Kai Alpha and uh, Crew and those guys who we love. But this is one other way that we're going to partner together for the work of evangelism, partnering in the work of the spread of the gospel on the campus of American University. But also, guys, this doesn't even reference the work that we have with the Spanish-speaking church later this year. A significant portion of our material gifts will be going towards there, as our brother uh, Alejandro and his wife, and Rebecca and Benjamin spread the gospel amongst the Spanish speakers of Columbia Heights. Now, I share this information not, to be clear, not to pat ourselves on the back, but instead to encourage courage, your joy, in partnering together materially for the sake of the gospel here in D.C. and abroad. Because that's what gospel partnerships do. We pray and we also materially help. But thirdly, gospel partnerships also include physical presence. The work of prayer and material support is critical in the work of partnering together for the joy of all peoples. But the level of partnerships are really seen when churches begin to give their people. That's when you really begin to see it. So, In chapter 2 there, look at chapter 2, Paul mentions how he plans to send Timothy to Grace Church Philippi. You see that there? You can find it there in verse 19. Chapter two, verse nineteen. Paul's going to send Timothy. Now, think about that. He's writing in prison, and he's going to send. He's thinking about people he could send back to Grace Church Philippi. But also, guys, remember the occasion of this letter. The Philippians sent their own servant Epaphroditus to Paul there in Rome to encourage him in the prison. So, Grace Church Philippi sent him. They sent one from their own to him to encourage him. And so, there we see Paul then is going to send Epaphroditus back to Grace Grace Church Philippi for the work of the gospel. And guys, this is what happens. This is what happens. The most complete gospel partnerships, there's not only a spiritual investment, there's a physical investment. There is a kind of giving and receiving of people for the equipping and encouraging so that the gospel would advance in the best way possible. One of my favorite trips since beginning this church uh, was... Uh, After training and helping A.J. up here in the early stages of the church, we sent him off to an unreached people group in Russia. And after he was there for a time, me and Eric hopped on a plane and went to Russia to encourage him, to help him, to equip him, to pray with him, to bring him taco seasoning and barbecue sauce, which is encouraging apparently to A.J. But after we were there for a time, we, I, didn't, we, I led that, the team there in a retreat. Was, they just didn't have to prepare anything. I just could encourage them and refresh them in the gospel. So we sent physical people over there, and they sent him back. For better or for worse, here he is. But I also love to tell the story of Joe and Janae, our brother and sister, where just this past year... we. We have that partnership there in the Middle East, and they went out to visit some workers of the Samaritan's Purse. And they went there, physically went there, and went over to the workers of the Samaritan's Purse to encourage them to learn about the work that's going on there in a very difficult region. And as they were sharing with them and listening to the workers of Samaritan's Purse, one of the workers began to weep because of how encouraged he was that people from a local church would send their people to him just to learn about how the work is going and how they can pray for them. And he said to them, and you could talk to Joe and Janae about this, he said to them, I wish more churches did this. Sent their people, physical presence, come over there just to encourage them, to equip them, to spread the good news alongside of them. And we can imagine the kind of fuel that it gave, not only them, but the other workers we partner with there in the Middle East. I can think about the church that planted us, North Wake Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina. They helped us do evangelism in the early days. They helped us serve the city. They sent us people to preach, because we didn't really know what we were doing in preaching. I don't know if we still did, but we're giving it a go. Uh, we they sent us people to help with music, to help us sing. They came here just to pray with us. They came to laugh with us. And I can tell you guys that was really encouraging for us. Because in those early days, we didn't have anybody. It was lonely here. It was such a joy to have physical presence there. So that's what gospel partnerships do in fellowship. They Bring physical people to encourage that fellowship for the work of the gospel. They fuel our joy and thanksgiving to God as we send and receive people to equip and encourage and refresh one another in the work of the gospel so that the gospel can move forward. So brothers and sisters at Restoration Church, pursue the fellowship of the gospel by being physically present in even one another's lives. You guys, in one another's lives. Being physically present there, both here in the city, and also be physically present insofar as you can around the world for the sake of the gospel. Sign up for mission trips. We're going to take at least two this year. Sign up with American friends. Sign up to preach the gospel, as our brother uh, will be doing tonight at at Friendship Terrace. Sign up for, uh, better still, sign up maybe for two or three years overseas. Everything about that? Uh, I, Ned I got a job. I went to school to get this job. Praise the Lord for that. And I, Most of you are going to do that, and I praise God for that. So live here on mission. But maybe some of you have not considered the thought of taking two or three years to move overseas to partner with maybe our friends in the Middle East that we have over there. Just to give two or three years over there. Maybe five years, maybe 15 years over there. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you think about partnering together for the sake of the gospel by uh, just moving your whole life over there a great thing to consider. Physical presence makes a huge difference in gospel partnerships. Live on mission, brothers and sisters. And live on mission together. I mean, Paul's sitting in prison. He's got people around him. Maybe one of the reasons you have so so much difficulty in advancing the gospel, spreading the gospel, is because you're probably doing it alone. Listen, Paul's never alone. Jesus is never alone. We see the Trinity is never alone, as it were. So maybe one of the reasons you're having difficulty in spreading the gospel is because you need more gospel partnerships, physical presence, people around you to help push the gospel out. So our interest, friends, as you go and advance that gospel in your workplace and amongst your family and your friends and your students that you interact with, what you're going to find is maybe they come here and maybe they're interested in the things of God and they come here and they don't really care for Restoration Church. Guess what? That's okay. Right? That's okay. There's all kinds of partnerships we have. Bring them to another church. Maybe they live closer to another church. Maybe they live over there closer to Brookland. So let's, let, let us introduce you to KJ and to Steve, who are planting Redeemer City. Let's get to work there. I love what our brother said earlier. This is not about our own individual churches. This is about the kingdom of God. We're just trying to get people on the right path so they can love Jesus and live for Jesus. Do it together. Be physically present. It's good to be reminded, friends. We, as a Res- as restoration church, we need to be reminded of this, don't we? This physical presence and the need to keep going. Last year, 32 members we received. Praise the Lord. Welcome. And 25 members we resigned. They moved out. Look, just take a look around. Not a huge church. It's a big chunk. 32 came in last year, 25 went out. We're giving and receiving physical presence a lot, <laughs> right? And this is good. Alright? Trust me, I'm partially I'm preaching to myself when I say that. All right? this is good because we're spreading the good news. So we should be happy about this. Think about the people that came here were equipped, built up, and went back to another church, and now that community is going to be stronger. And the same thing, other churches are building people up right now. We haven't even met this year. Think about the churches. Like, think about the people that are being equipped right now, they're listening to a sermon right now, and we don't know this guy or gal's name, and they're going to move here three, four, five, six months from now, and they're going to join you for the sake of partnering together in the gospel. Isn't that fun to think about? Banding together, physical presence, arm and arm, linked together for the sake of the glories of Christ. But, friends, we need to move on. Gospel partnerships not only include prayer and material gifts and physical presence, they also include gospel partnerships also has to include doctrinal agreement. Have to. We have to believe in what the, we have to agree, partner, on fellowship and be united in what the gospel is and what it isn't. Now, this might be one of the easiest things to miss because it's so obvious in the letters of Paul. Sort of like saying clouds are white and the sky is blue until someone starts saying the clouds are green and the sky's orange. But in chapter 3, Paul spends a good bit of time warning Grace Church Philippi that there are people out there trying to distort the teaching of the gospel. Look at chapter 3, you can see that. There's people out there trying to distort the teaching of the gospel, or they're trying to entirely reject the teaching of the gospel. The occasion of all of Paul's letters, think about this, the occasion of all of Paul's letters is trying to correct or clarify what the gospel is, and what it means to live it out. Perhaps the best example of this is the letter to the church, the Galatian churches. The whole point of that letter in the book of Galatians is to correct how people were teaching that there were works that were to be added on to believing in Christ so that they would then save you. Paul calls that idea of adding works to faith anathema. Really bad. That's what anathema means. All right? Really, really bad. Paul knows and believes that there is something that is proper. Uh, that is the proper understanding of the gospel and an improper understanding of the gospel. And not only does he know that, he's writing to clarify the gospel in order to preserve that teaching of the gospel from being corrupted as it is enjoyed and advanced around the globe. See, he knows that when there is unity in the teaching of the gospel, there is power, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, there is love. And he knows how easily that gospel can be distorted or rejected. And he knows that when that gospel gets distorted and rejected, it leads to slavery and death. And so Paul's joy in Grace Church Philippi is fueled at the unity they have in the teaching or the doctrine of the gospel. He's writing here to keep that up so that they won't lose it. Seems to be, seems to have some crack, r- cracks or fractures at the edges of Grace Church Philippi of this doctrine. There might be some cracks. I think that's the occasion of the letter. And he's writing here just to kind of pick some concrete and fill up those fractures on the edge to make sure they're still united for the mission of the gospel. And so I wonder, maybe some of you are here this morning because you want to know exactly what the gospel is. We talk about the agreement of the gospel, the teaching of the gospel, and maybe some of you are going, well, what exactly is it? Nathan? Well, that's a great question. The gospel in its most basic teaching. We can talk about all kinds of implications of the gospel, but the gospel in its most basic teaching is this God is holy, meaning he is set apart from us and pure. We have sinned against him. We are not like God. And because of that, we have been separated from him. And God has decided in his infinite love and kindness to partner with us in sending his son. To come. And to live a sinless life. The life that we should have lived. And though he did no wrong, he was sent to a cross. And because of his work on the cross, he sacrificed himself for those that believe. So that that sacrifice, a sinless, perfect sacrifice, his sacrifice could count for us that believe. And because of that, we can then get the record of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, and we can be justified, clean, pure, we get his record, even though we have a messed up record. So if you're wondering, hey, you Christians are often, often hypocrites. Can I just say, I agree with you? But it's not my record that counts. It's Jesus' record. It's accounted to me. And the new life that Jesus has in the resurrection, that gets accounted to us that believe. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And all of this happens by grace, through faith, for the glories of Christ. We, as a church, would not exist if it weren't for that message. We would have no mission. no mission. See, the existence of churches that deny aspects of this gospel, that have lost the gospel, and therefore they have lost the partnership of the gospel, they have lost the joy of the gospel, and the thankfulness of the gospel, if they get rid of aspects or totally reject this message. Friends, even if those churches claim to have the gospel. Now you say now that's that's right? I How is it Nathan? you know you have the gospel and all those other churches don't? It's a great question. It's a fair question. Friend, the gospel that is believed by this church is the message that has been carefully, can carefully be traced back through our partnership with other brothers and sisters <coughs> in the gospel for the past 2,000 years. The gospel that is believed here can be traced back to other, through other gospel-believing brothers and sisters, as it is rooted in the Scriptures. So the so-called gospel that say Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons believe that was deemed false, guys. If you just do a basic understanding of church history, or most importantly, read the Bible, that that gospel, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, was deemed false hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The same could be said of other church movements that try to distort the gospel by emphasizing some work that we have to do in order to be saved. So denominations like the Church of Christ that emphasize the need to be baptized in order to be saved. Friends, that was condemned long ago in church history. And so the way that we can know that we have the true gospel, not a false gospel, is not by evaluating ourselves, but by evaluating the teaching of the Bible as it has been confirmed by 2,000 years of church history. And friends, this is why the Protestant Reformation is so important. We get to celebrate the 500th anniversary of it this year. 500 years ago, there were men and women that reformed the church through their clarifying the gospel that had become veiled in the Roman Catholic Church. So it's important to note that in the Reformation, these leaders did not create a new wing of the church or a new thing in the church called the Protestant church. They didn't create a new thing. They were simply recovering the old teaching of the gospel that became difficult to see because the Catholic church's emphasis on works or sacraments that we have to do instead of the work, the finished work that Christ had done. They didn't come up with anything new. They were recovering the true gospel. So many men and women, like Latimer and Ridley that I told you about earlier, that died for the gospel, they knew that that was important, that it was good to die for that because they wanted to clarify the gospel for the sake of gospel partnership. But also, friend, also, if you're asking that question, how is it you know you have the true gospel? You should know that those of us that believe this gospel, we did not come to believe it on our own. We believe that we're saved by grace. We believe that Christ loved us while we were enemies. We are not redeemed by our religious deeds or our intellectual achievements. And we believe that we were saved by grace through faith. Meaning, meaning Christ saved us. We did not save ourselves. So the gospel that we preserve and enjoy is the gospel that was gifted to us in spite of our false religions. Not because of it. So God saved us by his grace and his ability, not by our works and our ability. Friends, we are servants, we are slaves, we are fools for Christ. But it also bears mentioning that every time then, friends, this important teaching and preserving gospel doctrine, in partnering in the gospel, every time we preach the gospel, sing the gospel, pray the gospel, teach the gospel, friends, we are partnering together with those that came before us and those that will come after us. That's why we are so careful, friends, in church membership. That's why all of our members have to rehearse the gospel. Why? It's not a task. We just want to make sure that we believe the same gospel. Because we want to preserve it, protect it as we partner together. I have a letter in my office, one of my favorite things that i learned from my grandmother, as she was transferring from Chattanooga Tabernacle in like 1948 or something like that. And it's a letter from the pastor that says... This is to confirm that Catherine Giles Knight believes the one true gospel. I would encourage you to receive her as a member of Christ. Now, we don't have physical letters. Happy to do that. But they're just trying. Chattanooga Tabernacle in 1948 was trying to make sure and preserve the gospel so they could partner with other churches. That's what we want to do. That's why we have a statement of beliefs and a covenant that we regularly look to because our joy in gospel partnerships uh, are predicated upon our believing in this gospel of Jesus Christ. Not another gospel which has been shown to be distorted, but the one true biblical historical gospel. A gospel that we friends can easily forget It should never assume. That's why we talk about it every week. And so we join together with other churches and organizations that believe the gospel as it has been preserved and will be preserved down through the ages until Jesus Returns and so to have joy and thanksgiving and gospel partnerships, friends, we must be careful to protect, to promote, to propagate the true gospel. But lastly, when Paul says he thanks God every time he remembers them in prayer with joy because of the partnership of the gospel, he also includes the affections. The affections. See, our affections, friends, are the seat of our soul. It includes our will and our emotions. So gospel partnerships need the involvement of our affections if they're going to give us joy. Now that seems about the most obvious thing I could say this morning, right? If we're going to be affectionate, if we're going to have joy, we have to have have joy, right? Joy and thanksgiving are affectionate in and of themselves. And so we should expect that gospel partnerships should not involve just our wallets or our prayers or even just our physical presence, but our affections, our affections. So look at verse 8 down there, chapter 1. Notice the presence of Paul's affections for Christ Church of Philippi in their part. How I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Look okay, at chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy. And we see this going back from Grace Church Philippi being affectionate towards Paul. In considering the gift the church sent him in chapter 4, verse 14, Paul understands that to be a level of kindness from Grace Church Philippi. It involves his affections. And so Restoration Church, if we are going to come to enjoy the gospel and have gospel partnerships like Paul did, we must not only involve our prayers or our doctrines or our material gifts or our people, we must include our affections. Not just our, our mental assent that those are good things to do. By like giving money. Yeah, that's good. We should do that. Excellent. Here's a dollar. <laughs> right? Affection. No, what? Can we have money. Give it to them that need precedent. Use the money here in ways that can connect you and spin you out. Affectionate level. We have to involve our affection in gospel. Partnership. Guys, I know, I know when I share the gospel, sometimes I lose this piece of the advancement, of partnership in the gospel. Sometimes I have trouble with this. We live in a very intellectual city, don't we? I say a lot, there's more degrees in here than Fahrenheit. <laughs> right? And I feel the need, as a guy that's not really smart, I'm probably the dumbest guy in the room, and I feel the need to kind of go out and when I'm spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel, maybe even when I'm preaching. I make the gospel so logical. And it is. It is logical. And I feel the need to try to answer all of their questions. And even though I I know this intellectually is not true, I sometimes act when I'm sharing the gospel and advancing the gospel. Sometimes I act as though if I could just answer all of their questions, they'll give their life to Jesus. Instead of seizing upon my affections and their affections. Instead of seizing upon the thing that intoxicates their soul. And I want to encourage you in that. It's something I'm not great at a lot. Try to seize upon the affections of the person you're speaking to, not just their heads but their hearts. They have longings, they have desires, and Christ answers those. And help them see that with your with your I don't you know you don't have to throw your hands up like me and raise your voice or just somehow communicate this gospel is big. It includes not just our minds but our hearts. Be affectionate in your mission with the gospel. Share with them. See, sometimes when I share the gospel, it's sort of like it's like I'm getting people to sign up for gym memberships, right? That's how I, I, I just, you know, listen, So, scientifically speaking, right? If you work out, you'll feel better, and then you'll live longer. You have longer life, right? And look at these wonderful benefits that you have here. In our gym, there's a bench over there, there's some exercise equipment over there, and it'll just be one small cost to you. Sign up now for your gym membership. That's how I treat the gospel sometimes. Use your affection. The best gospel partnerships are the ones that we are involved with beyond the peripheral but into the heart level. Joey prayed for it earlier. I love to consider the gospel partnership we have with Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Sometimes I'm brought to tears at how they affectionately partner with us. Because for them, that partnership that we have between these two churches is more than just accounting. They care about us. They're, if you, Many of you have sat in their service, but they hear they're praying for us. They're giving us their people. Some we have members of, this, of their church that are now members of this church. So they're physically present. They're giving us money. They're praying. They're preserving doctrine. And they find joy when they hear of the work that's going on here. And I think about the partnerships that you guys have at the affectionate level with yourselves. I was thinking about it as I was putting this sermon together. And it brought me to tears, the thought of the number of you that have brought crackers and Sprite in this wonderful Norovia season to each other. And you've dropped off crackers and Sprite on the front doorstep and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> that's an affectionate partnering. Maybe not for the advancement of the gospel, but you're showing your love for them. Right? I can think about the ways that you guys have wept uh, with those that lost loved ones. I'm thinking about the ways that those of you you've wept with people that have had miscarriages. I think about the joy that you guys have had with one another when there's been new births and marriages. I've watched you guys partner together in that way at the affectionate level. Just this past week, I was rejoicing with Andrew as we had considered all the time we prayed for his mom to come to faith in Christ. And guess what? She did! Hallelujah! And we're partnering now. You see that? And now, if y'all know this story, sidetrack, so, like, she, she did not, she didn't want him to go to England. She wanted him to stay here. And now she comes to faith, and now he's telling me about how excited she is that he's there. Transformation. I have joy. She has joy. Andrew has joy. That's gospel partnership. And you guys are doing that with each other. You're crying. You're weeping. You're spurring each other on. Because it involves the whole person. gospel partnership. So I want to encourage you, Restoration Church, to continue to pursue the fellowship of the gospel for the joy of your soul, of our soul, the city's soul, the world. So by God's grace, friends, I want you to know that Restoration Church, this sentence, verses three to five, describes my affection, the elders' affection for you, our thanksgiving for you. I realize that Restoration Church does not get it right all the time. But listen, I just want you to know that these things that we're talking about here, those five things, it's happening. You guys are doing it. Be encouraged. In the same way Paul was encouraged at Grace Church Philippi, I am encouraged that you, that you are doing these things. And so if you are a member of this church and you're operating on the fringes, can I encourage you, please come in. It's hard for us to do these things with you when we don't know you will. Come in, in closer. We don't fight most of the time. And if you're if you're scared about revealing that thing because you think, you know, we're going to be terrible that I listen, we're all messy people. Come in. Get involved. If you're not a, or you are a Christian and you're looking for a church home, come in. Understand you cannot partner together for the sake of your joy and the glory of God alone. You can't do it. The church is not Jiffy Lou you're compromising your own joy by remaining on the outside. And if you're not a follower of Christ and you're looking for joy, you're looking for thanksgiving, might I introduce to you Jesus Christ and the church that takes his name. He is a great king and we fools are his slaves and we are glad to follow him in all of our difficulties and all of our sin. So I would invite you to follow Jesus and come And partner with us for the glories of Christ. And lastly, as I close, I'm going to pray. I wonder what kinds of encouragements, what kinds of joys and thanksgiving we're going to have later on this year. From the partnerships that you create. Listen, don't wait for us to try to create some organizational level thing. Do it on your own. Do it on your own. I love to tell the story that DC 127 exists because a couple people got so involved. We couldn't help but try to get the church behind them. And we can't do that for everybody. But don't wait on us. Go spread the gospel. Work together. Go. Be encouraged. God is doing great things around the world and in you. And let's be spurred together to pursue our joy as we pursue a fellowship in the gospel with ourselves and others. Let's ask God around. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fellowship that we have with him. That's the most important fellowship of all. May you be our joy, positional, non-circumstantial joy. And God, as we enjoy the fellowship we have with you, may we enjoy our fellowship with one another as a church. In a place and a time that seems to be a lot of disunity, may people come into our confines to see there's one place that there is unity. And thirdly, Father, may we even fellowship for the advancement of the gospel to the end of the earth. To our brother and sister in Central Asia, to our brothers and sisters down in Haiti, <coughs> to Alex in the Middle East and Andrew up in England, and the throngs in which we partner to broadly, may the gospel advance for the joy of all peoples and the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray.